Good morning. It's good to be with you all here this morning. I uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade trade this for anything to than to be with with my church family this morning. As most of you know, I've been preaching in Philippians when it was my turn to preach. And um, the verse that I'm up to in Philippians is Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. I won't be preaching out of, out of there this morning, but um, I've kind of taken my, my message from that, I guess. The first part of verse 27, um, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so, in the verses leading up to this, Paul has been telling the Philippian church about um, that for him is to live is to or to die is simply Christ. It makes it makes no difference to him to live is to live for Christ and to glorify Christ. And there's no other thing that is more fulfilling for Paul than to live for Christ. And in fact, the only thing he could do that could be better for Paul is to die for Christ or to die, and thus he would be with Christ for all of eternity. And that becomes a struggle for Paul, and he's struggling. Um, he says he's hard-pressed between the, the thought of dying and the thought of continuing to live, even in the circumstances he was in. And so, um, despite all the circumstances in Paul's life, he continues to rejoice. He never loses focus on Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And it is the gospel of Christ that gives him the confidence to continue and to never lose hope. And his life is in Christ, and Christ is in him. And so Paul believes um, in Jesus, and he's, he believes he's been saved by Jesus for the, from the eternal punishment that was due him for his sins. And he understood his sinfulness, and he understood, and he believed with his whole heart that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And he was saved by Jesus, and he lived his life in full assurance of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 27, he calls the church to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And some versions will read, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And Paul has such a deep affectionate love for Christ that it causes him to walk in a manner, it's a cause and effect in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He, he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And his life is evident of the fact that he can sit there in his prison or face all the persecution that Paul faced, and he can um, rejoice in the fact that the gospel is going forward, despite, despite everything. And he is indeed living a life worthy of the gospel. And here he calls the church to do the same. And he's asking them to live a certain way to... He's not asking them, sorry, he's not asking them to live in a certain way to earn their salvation. And he's not saying that they can in any way add anything to their salvation. But when we understand what the gospel has done for Paul, when we understand what the gospel needs to do for us, then we can understand why he would walk in a manner worthy of that gospel. And only when the gospel has that effect on us does it compel us to walk or to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of that gospel. And so, 
how we live is then a reflection of what the gospel has done to us. And so the next time, Lord willing, I want to look at that more deeply or more closely. But today, I thought that verse led up to um, what the gospel is for me. Because he says, only let your life be, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I believe it's fitting for us to remember who Jesus is or what the gospel is on this day, Good Friday, that we remember the cross, that when Jesus died for us. And not only do unbelievers need the gospel in order to be saved, but the believers need the gospel daily to remind us of the love that God has for us and in sending his son to die on the cross to remind us of the, of the penalty that was due to every one of us before Christ saved us. And so I pray that this message will bring joy to the believer, joy in knowing we have been saved, and an eagerness to walk worthy in a worthy manner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But most of all, I pray that unbelievers will hear this message and that their eyes would be open to the truth of the gospel and that they would accept the message of the cross and they would repent and turn from their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. And so what is the gospel? And if I were, if I were to explain or try to explain the gospel today in one word, it would simply be Jesus. The gospel is, is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. And to fully comprehend that, we need to know who he is. And so that's where my focus will be this morning. We want to, I want to try and explain to you who Jesus is. And I hope that will be helpful. But I will, I just will put my disclaimer in here. I, I'm reading a lot of scripture this morning, so I'm not going to ask you to, to turn to every, every scripture that I will read. And I hope I'm not putting too much on top of one another here that it's, causing more questions than answers. But if it does cause questions, I will just come to me after or call me or text me and say, what, what were you trying to say? And I will try and explain it better to you if I don't get it clear today. So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Son of God. That is true. He is the Son of God. And we need to understand though, that Jesus is more than the Son of God. He is God. Jesus is not a created being of God, but he is a part of God himself. He is one part of the triune God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was with God in the beginning. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so John is writing of Jesus here. The word that he is referencing to is Jesus Christ. The sons, or John starts his written account of the gospel with an introduction to who Jesus is here as well. And this introduction is vital to our understanding of who he is. If we get Jesus wrong, then we have the gospel wrong. And so we must understand that Jesus is, in fact, God. He was fully man and yet fully God. 
In John 1 verse 9, John continues and he says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so again, we see the evidence that Jesus was indeed God. John says he came into the world, and yet the world was made through him. He came to his own, and yet his own people did not receive him. Jesus was with God in the beginning. He was with God when he created the world, and he brought light to the world. Jesus is the light in this dark world of sin and death. Jesus brought light into the world. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking with the disciples when he says in verse 6, and I will just turn there, John 14, verse 6, he says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says this, he says, If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So Jesus is plainly telling the disciples there that he and the Father are one and the same. And so, if Jesus is God, if he was with God when God created the world, then he is also the creator. And he then is the creator for you or of you and me. <clears throat> Colossians 1 verse 16, he says, Paul writes, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's talking of Jesus. And so when we see that Jesus was with God and all things were created through him and for him, then it is without a doubt that Jesus is God. He is God the Son. And the reason this is important is so that we don't miss the fact that salvation that comes through Jesus the Son is ultimately salvation of God. God the Father and God the Son brought salvation to the world. And it was through Adam that sin and death brought darkness into the world, and it is through God, and it is God who brings light through His Son to this dark world. And it is through that light and through God the Son and the same one who created mankind that came into the world to save the lost. And so the number one thing that Jesus is, is he is God. And the second thing then that I want to see, that we will see, is that Jesus is a man. And this is equally important to get right. We have just touched the surface of what the Bible says about Jesus being fully God. I realize that we're just, I'm just going over this very quickly. Um, and I'm only going to touch the surface of what it says about him being a full, uh, being fully man as well. But it is important to understand that. The Apostle John addressed this in 1 John 4, verse 2. He writes, By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh 
is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. John says this is the evidence that we have of the Spirit of God when we confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. And so we will look at some of the passages that talk about being in, Jesus being in the flesh or that talk about Jesus being a man. And it started when God sent Gabriel to speak to Mary. We are very familiar with these accounts. Um, she was betrothed to be married, and he told Mary how these things would come to pass, and he told her how she would conceive and she would bear a son, and she was to call him, him Jesus, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Jesus is the Son of God, and he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he was born of a woman. And being born of a woman, he took on humanity. And this is important for numerous reasons. Jesus had to be fully human um, so that he could be a representative of obedience. And I got that out of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book. He had to be a representative for obedience. All mankind has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person who has ever lived, is living, and will live is born in sin. Romans 3.23 reminds us of that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And just a few verses earlier, Paul in Romans 3, uh, Paul quotes from the Psalms and he says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. We can't represent God to, we can't represent ourselves to God. We see that without the Lord intervening, we have no hope. There was and there is no one who could represent us to God but God himself. And he came and he took on flesh to be our representative. In Romans chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's obedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. It was his act of righteousness. It was the righteousness of, of Jesus that makes the believer righteous before the Lord God. It is his act of obedience that serves as a substitute for us in that sense. And that leads me to the second reason why he needed to be fully human is because he, we needed a substitute. He had to be human in order to substitute, be a substitute sacrifice for us. And in order to die for and to pay the sins of man or to substitute the payment that was due us, Jesus needed to be a man and he needed to die a man's death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. We'll read a little portion of scripture here. Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and the deliverer, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He did not come to help angels, but he came to help mankind. He came to help those who were slaves of sin and death, and that is that is us. We are apart from Jesus without hope. And so again, in order to die in our place and to pay the penalty due to us, he had to be a man, a perfect man. He had to be a man to be a substitute sacrifice for man. He didn't come to save angels. He came to save man. He, God's plan involved his son sharing in flesh and blood so that he would live a perfect life and he would die a perfect sacrifice for us. And then he can be, and he is our high priest who intercedes for us to the Father. He died in our place as a man to pay for the sins of all those who will ever believe in him and trust him as Lord and Savior. <clears throat> then in 1 Timothy 2.5 it says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So he's referring to him as a man. Jesus is our substitute and he is our mediator before God. Man is fallen and his fallen state cannot stand before God. We are alienated from God by sin. We need someone to come between us and God and to bring us back to him. And we need someone to represent us to God and someone who can bring God to us. In order to fulfill this role of the mediator, Jesus had to be a man. And again, this is the perfect and the righteous and the holy man of God, Jesus Christ. God promised a son. He promised a savior to rescue mankind from death. Isaiah 9, 6. Just some examples that tell of Jesus' humanity and that he was fully man. Luke 2, 7 says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger. He was a baby. The child grew, and he became strong, Luke 2.40. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in the favor with God and man, Luke 2.52. Mark 4, verse 38 says, Jesus became tired, and he needed sleep. He became hungry when he was without food, Luke 4.2. Jesus comes to Jacob's well, and he was wearied from the journey, in John 4, 6, he had, he was man, and he had the same experience as man, as we do. And John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. Jesus was God, and Jesus was a man. But Jesus was not just any man. He was tempted at all points as we are. And yet he was a pure man without sin. And he was literally able to stay pure in deed and in thought and in his heart. And that is the third thing that I want, to, I want us to know about Jesus this morning is he lived a sinless life. He not only died for the sins of believers, but he lived for the believers. He lived a perfect life for every single person who will ever put their faith and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. 
Second <clears throat> Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For the sake of his bride, the sake of the believers who were dead in sins, Jesus who knew no sin was made to be sin, so that we can become the righteous before God. First John 3, 5 says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. It's important to understand that there was no sin in him. Our sin separated us from God. This wages of sin is death. We were and are slaves to sin and death without Christ. And the wages for our sin is death. Jesus was sinless, and it is because Jesus was sinless that we have hope of an eternity in heaven. Think of this. If Jesus had sinned in any way at all, he could not have been the sacrifice for sin that we needed. He could not stand before God. And so, as a man, Jesus was tempted, as we are, and he was fully aware of our trials that we may be going through. As a man, he would have understood perhaps our weakness that we have towards sin, but Jesus Christ is God, and therefore he cannot sin. I hope that that is clear. In 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. And there are many more things that Jesus about Jesus that we could and we should look at. There are so many attributes of Christ and we just simply can't cover them today. But we want to know today that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is God. Jesus is God and all things were created by Him and for Him, including you and me. We are the clay and He is the potter. He is and always will be Lord. He literally has the whole world in His hands. He became a man and he came to earth in the flesh to be the perfect sacrifice that would be required to pay for our sins once and for all. We have seen already many reasons why we would need a Savior. And we can believe all things that the Bible tells us about who Jesus is, but if we don't understand our need of him, then that is all in vain. We must understand who Jesus is in light of who we are. We were created in the image of God. Just like Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Genesis 1.26 says that we were created in the image of God. The problem with our image of God, though, is it's stained with sin. We are forever separated from God because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. God told Adam in the garden that if he would eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would surely die. And he did. He did not physically die in that moment, but he died a spiritual death that separated him and all of mankind from God on that day. We are in the line of Adam. Every single person has inherited the sin nature from Adam. And because of that, we are dead in our sins. Ephesians 2.1 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. No one is excluded from this. We are all by nature children of wrath, hostile towards God, dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 5.12 again says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. So we need to be reconciled to God. And our sin has separated us, and he has put us at enmity with God. Our sin has put us at enmity with God. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Every person without Christ is dead in sin, and we cannot please God. And therefore, apart from Christ, we are without hope. Hebrews 9.22 says that under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Our sins can only be paid for with blood. Leviticus 4.20 says, um, animals were required to be a sacrifice. Sorry, in the Mosaic law, animals were required to be sacrificed to atone for sins. That is found in Leviticus 4.20. Hebrews 10, and in verse 1, says, "For For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form... Sorry, I'm... For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. Make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. That is a question, and I'm going to reread that because I did that wrong. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so, in other words, the sacrifice of animals actually could cleanse. If the sacrifice of animals could actually cleanse someone, they would not have needed to come back every year and sacrifice an animal again and again. Every year, the law required the Israelites to sacrifice an animal for their sins, but never were they paid for and full, all of their sins for all of their lives. There was never a sacrifice sufficient enough or pure enough 
or tr to truly cleanse someone of all their sins. But Christ came and he lived a perfect life. He was truly perfect. He was the image of the invisible God, perfect in every way, and he came to wake, to make a new way. So I'm going to continue in Hebrews 10, starting at verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sins offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. <clears throat> and so we see Jesus was coming to fulfill the will of the Father. He was God, remember? And he came, and he was the image of the invisible God. And he lived a perfect life, and he was tempted in every respect as we are. And yet he did it without sin. And he came to make a way for lost sinners to come to him. He came as God. He took on the form of a man, and he walked a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to save sinners as you and I. To reconcile or to bring us back, to bring back those who are dead in trespasses and sins, to bring life to the dead. He was in full control and he was not arrested and crucified against his will. He voluntarily left his throne and his perfect fellowship with the Father and came to live a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice so that he could pay the sins of every Christian who has ever been, who will ever be. He willingly went to the cross to endure the worst possible death in order to save a wretch like me. John ten seventeen, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. So with that, with that in mind, with, with just thinking that Jesus is God, and Jesus is man, and he, he volunteer, voluntarily came and he gave his life for us, for you and for me and for our sins. I want to just read from Matthew 27 the account of the death of Jesus. And I pray that, that it will grip our hearts and that it would cause us to rejoice in what Jesus did on the cross for us. Matthew 27, I'm going to start at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him 
And they took a, took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. I read a quote this morning from Dustin Benj. He said, don't feel sorry for Jesus. And we tend to, or I tend to do that. I tend to, to mourn or feel sorry for him for what he did. And I, and it breaks my heart for what he did and what he had to do, but I feel, but we don't feel sorry for him because he willingly did that. He, he did that on his own accord. He went to the cross and he endured the shame and the beating and the spitting and the mocking. Go to verse, uh, verse 45 in Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran, and he took a sponge, and he filled it with sour wine, and he put it on the reed, and he gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. The Gospel of John records him as saying, It is finished. Jesus had effectively paid for all the sins of every person who will ever come to understand their hopeless state of being dead in trespasses and sins. Not just the sins of this past year, but all the sins for all time for every believer. He had paid it in full, and he did it on his terms. He laid down his life for our sins. He knew what it would take, and he knew when it was finished. And Jesus went to the grave. He did not stay there. He laid down his life, and he took it up again, as we read in John 10. He rose from the grave. He showed himself to many. He ascended to heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. He had defeated death once and for all who believe. For those who will never believe, they will have to pay for their own sins for all of eternity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so again, I hope and I pray that the reality of what Jesus did grips our hearts today. I hope it causes us to rejoice and to sing praises to our Lord and Savior, who sovereignly has made a way for us to come to Him, and He get, did it according to His will, and He did it willingly. And I pray that it would propel us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And if you are hearing the gospel for the first time and you see your need for saving grace, of Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross, then I urge you to call upon the Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is Lord. He is God. 
and he is with God. And he created all things, and he came to earth in the flesh to be himself the perfect sacrifice, to shed his blood for the sins of his people. Jesus is effectively, in one word, the gospel. And we are hopelessly lost, and Jesus has redeemed us back to himself. We were. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It is all from God. Every part of the gospel is from God. And so the gospel, in one word, is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, I come before you this morning, and I just thank you so much for dying on the cross for my sins this morning, God. I pray that that the reality of that would weigh heavy on my heart, that it would... That it would be real to each one of us this morning, God. That it would cause us to walk in a worthy manner. Understanding that we can't even do that on our own, Lord. Without you, we are hopeless and we are helpless. And we needed your blood on the cross, God. And we thank you for that. And we just pray that it would change the way we live that it would affect every part of our lives, Lord, of every single day, like it did Paul and how he wrote to the Philippians. Father, I just thank you for that, and I pray that you would use this message for your honor and glory, however you see fit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.